Uh, you know, first of all, there's no such thing as short-term history as far as I'm concerned. I think that you can't judge a presidency based upon uh, a moment's notice. I believe you have to take a... Eventually, my standing in history will be judged by people 30 or 40 years from now who will be able to take an objective look. But I read three histories of George Washington last year. The first president of the United States is still being analyzed by historians, which ought to say to this president and future presidents, do what you think is right, and eventually historians will figure out whether it made sense or not. We always talk about what you're reading. As you know, there was a report that you have just read the works of a French philosopher. Can you <laughs> tell, us the, tell us the backstory of Camus? The backstory of the, of the book? Well, what, what led you what led I you was to in this? Crawford, and uh, I said, I was looking for a book to read, and Laura said, you ought to try Camus. I also read three Shakespeare's. Yeah. This is a change. You Not just really. years ago were Wait reading the life story of Joe DiMaggio by Richard Ben Kramer. Which is a good book. Serves. You've been on a Teddy Roosevelt reading kick. Yeah, you and I discussed that. the last well, time we were here. I'm reading about the Battle of New Orleans right now. I've, I've got an eclectic reading list. And now Camus. Well, that was a couple of books ago. Let, let me let me look. Oh, it's so hard to remember. Welcome to Never Forget Radio, where, from the comfort of your own home or your device, and from the safety of the future, we can revisit the memory of 9-11 of George W. Bush and of all the years associated with both since. It's been over a decade of disappointment, failure, and disaster. I'm no expert, but I'll be your host as we explore our recent past and try to reclaim it. Let's roll. Well, welcome back to Never Forget Radio. We just heard an excerpt from Brian Williams' interview with George Bush after the disaster of Hurricane Katrina. We'll hear from W himself through his autobiography. And a special guest today is his trusted advisor, Carl Rove. Today we're going to talk about books. Well, I've read some Shakespeare's too, and Brian Williams' question reminds me of Polonius, who asks Hamlet, What do you read, my lord? Of course, Hamlet replies, Books, books, books. What's the matter? That's not how it goes? Well, it was a couple books ago. Who can remember two or three words? He might not associate W with books, but he was a history major at Yale. Yale was the place where I felt free to discover and follow my passion, history, which became my major. And that's pretty far back, but today I want to go back to the beginning of history. I share the view of Bush and millions of Americans that history begins with an original sin. But the original sin that I mean is that history in the beginning was probably nothing more than an imagined past that autocrats and leaders and clerics told to their subjects to justify their continued hold on power. This continues today as the great man theory, the conviction that events are moved by the actions of the few, the powerful few, the implicitly deserving few, the largely white male few, that decisions of the few who we name heirs after are the only people that matter. It's a pantheonic, canonical view of the past that few great leaders and thinkers, great inventors and artists, great writers literally make history. I also refer to this theory as the beginning of history because it's the first thing presented to a child. 
Though it's only a theory, one lens, one view, because it's the one that's presented first, it seems like the correct or natural way to look at the past and at the world. And so it's internalized by both people it benefits and people it harms. And of course it really fits in with the child's worldview. I am the first son of George and Barbara Bush. My father wore the uniform in World War II, married a sweetheart as soon as he came home, and quickly started a family. First you have these infallible deity parents, and then as you get a little bit older, you're suddenly aware of their fallibility. And so perhaps childishly revering great presidents and authors can help replace your impossible-to-be-lived-up-to initial internal versions of your parents. There was always something extraordinary about George H.W. Bush. This is the reason why this theory and this status quo are renewed from generation to generation. When Pearl Harbor was attacked, Dad was a high school senior. He'd been accepted to Yale. Instead, he listed in the Navy on his 18th birthday and became the youngest pilot to earn his wings. Whether you're talking about history or art, it's usually privileged white men writing about privileged white men. And so their work is not immediately relevant to your life if you're anyone other than George W. Bush or me. The great man theory and the canons of historical and artistic fields keep marginalized people out of the story and thus out of future stories. White and male children see themselves reflected and portrayed in positions of power, and marginalized people are either invisible or cast as villainous extras in the great man's story. One morning in September 1944, Dad was flying a mission over Chichijima, an island occupied by the Japanese. His TBM Avenger was struck by enemy fire, but he kept going until he had dropped his bombs and hit the target. He shouted for his flight mates to bail out, and then he did so himself. George Bush's childhood was literally helmed by a great man. And by the time W was 20, his father was elected to Congress, and of course it went on and on from there. Alone in the South Pacific, he swam to the tiny rubber raft that had been his seat cushion. When Dad was rescued, he was told he could go home. He rejoined his squadron instead. And so authors and reading is one of the ways that the great man theory can trickle down, so that you, the reader, can feel ingrained, almost, by the presence in your life of a great author. President Bush in the interview that I quoted at the beginning gives a very good example of that. Brian Williams asks him about Camus, and instead of talking about the content of The Stranger, which is kind of about hating your parents and killing an Arab, he says, I said I was looking for a book to read, and Lars said you ought to try Camus. I also read three Shakespeare's. He's really only interacting with Camus as a famous author in a pantheon of famous authors. He's equating Camus and Shakespeare because that's what our culture does. They're canonical great men. He just says, I read three Shakespeare's, he doesn't specify which. Because for him, and usually for me, and probably for most people, it doesn't matter what he read. It matters who he read and how much. Whatever the subjects or themes or settings, you're not really reading for that. When you read a canonical great man, it's largely for the ability to say that you have. The reading doesn't matter as much as the having read. He says, well, I also read three Shakespeare's. Not, I read three plays, and they were about themes of responsibility and change and how to lead. He's not saying, I read three plays, and the first one was about a son who couldn't live up to his father, the king, and so he hung around in a bar, drinking and committing petty crimes and feeling sorry for himself. Then in the second play, I read the son rejects his old friends, and he defeats his father's rivals, and they make up, and he becomes the king. Then the third play, the son starts a war and invades this country his father never defeated. Polonius asks him, what do you read, my lord? He says, Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's. And then the king's trusted advisor, Polonius, says... Well, President Bush and I had a reading contest. It started by accident. Uh, he started it. I finished it. 
with a decisive victory, not one year, but two years in a row. That's trusted advisor Carl Rove. He called me on a Sunday afternoon in, uh, just before New Year's. I, I could hear Laura in the background, and she said uh, she was saying something to him about New Year's resolutions. So he said, do you have any good New Year's resolutions? And I said, yeah, I've got, I got one. I want to get back in the swing of reading, so I'm going to read a book a week next year, 52 books. And he was very dismissive of it and like, you know, stupid idea. And Monday or Tuesday, we were in the Oval Office, and uh, the new year had passed. President Bush looked over at me in the Oval and said, I'm on my second, where are you? And so we went off to the races with a reading contest. In an editorial he wrote in December 2008 for the Wall Street Journal, Karov claimed that over the last three years of his presidency, George W. Bush read 186 books, mostly biographies of great men, including Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, Mark Twain, Babe Ruth, Lyndon Johnson, Andrew Jackson, Huey Long, William Jennings Bryan, King Leopold of Belgium, Mao, Genghis Khan, and biographies of Julius Caesar, Richard III, and Titus Andronicus. Or maybe it was Pericles, Coriolanus, and Timon of Athens. Unfortunately, Karl Rove doesn't mention any Shakespeare plays, let alone which ones. This very specific figure of 186 books since they kept records for their annual contests, it doesn't even include the Bible, which Rove adds that Bush reads cover to cover every year. Rove's editorial includes a passage about the method to their contest. The competition soon spun out of control. We kept track not just of the books read, but also the number of pages, and later the combined size of each book's pages, its total lateral area. That's in quotes in Rove's editorial, total lateral area. And so he makes it very plain that the book's content was sacrificed to the competition. This term is so ridiculous that it makes me believe that W. and Carl actually did have a reading contest, because if they were trying to fool us, they would have suited the word more to the action instead of holding the mirror up to... Sorry. What do you read, my lord? Total lateral areas. Total lateral areas. Total lateral areas. I've, I've got an eclectic reading list. There's one more thing that's similar about these two clips besides Laura Bush, who has a master's in library science and founded the National Book Festival, being stuck in the background of each of these anecdotes about reading books, almost like the great man theory excludes women. Anyway, Bush with Brian Williams is from their 2006 interview in New Orleans, where the journalist actually confronts the president and tells him that he's standing at the site of his greatest failure, that his handling of Hurricane Katrina was a disaster. And the reading contests with Karl Rove are very significantly from 2006, 7, and 8, a time when the Republicans lost control of Congress, both of Bush's wars were going terribly, the economy failed, and Bush's popularity was in an all-time low. And during this time, he reputedly read 186 books. I discovered a lifelong love of history. When things started to go wrong, he retreated into books. Did a pastime and an interest become an obsession and an escape? I feel a lot of sympathy and identification for a man who, with everything going wrong outside, with all of his decisions coming back so poorly, starts obsessively reading history books. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's what I do when things go wrong. In fact, I spend a lot of time now reading history books about George W. Bush. A lifelong love of history. But I have to say that part of my fascination with Bush and part of this sympathy that I'm suddenly feeling is because of the great man theory. Because, like Bush, it's the first thing that I learned. 
like an original sin in my personal history, this deeply inculcated adulation of the powerful, this pantheistic pantheonism, this listing and weighing and ranking. History's always been something that I've been into, something to delve into and obsess over and read about intensely, and entertainment, now a creative pursuit. For me, history is an interest, not a locus of oppression. It's a safe space for me, but not for a lot of people. And so, because for the privileged, history is a safe escape, Bush's escape from his problems in 2006 is now my interest and escape from mine. Ultimately, I'm just reifying his power and importance by delving in minutiae, even though I pretend that I'm criticizing and analyzing and making fun of him. History is a poisoned, privileged pastime, the work of laying bare, of revealing, of lamenting, the never-forgetting, the honest attempt to expose our imagined good past as one of atrocity and horror, can so easily detour into the adoration of monsters and the reifying and recoolifying of terrible figures, an over-familiarity that leads to identification and glorification. Rehumanizing the powerful re-dehumanizes the powerless. I wonder if a mindless and gradual and normal forgetting would have been better than an examined, obsessive scrapbooking. I worry that instead of me changing the view of the past, it'll change me. Because you really can't criticize the great man theory by making a lot of jokes about Shakespeare. And you also can't criticize a great man by posting his childhood photographs, identifying with his early struggles, sympathizing with his loneliness in office. can't criticize him by reading the same books or by reading his book. Because if Polonius asked me, what do you read, my lord? I'd have to answer, Bush, Bush, Bush. Never Forget Radio is a production of Bookstyle Publications, currently located in West Philadelphia. Music for this episode was provided by Old Table and Turbo Sleeves. Special thanks to Mo Martin, Fred and Dignas. Please send your book recommendations for George Bush to Never Forget Radio on iTunes, Facebook, Gmail, Bandcamp, or Tumblr. Or Never Forget Pod on Twitter. All of our episodes can be downloaded for free. But if you'd like to support this project, please feel free to donate any amount. Today we have two quotes. One is from a fish called Wanda. You think you're an intellectual, don't you, ape? Apes don't read philosophy. Yes, they do, Otto. They just don't understand it. And another is from Hamlet on the great man theory. To what base uses we may return, Horatio? Why may not imagination trace the noble dust of Alexander till it find it stopping in a bunghole? Thank you, and never forget. <laughs>